Dude, where is she? I don't know, man. Like, it's 9 o'clock. She's supposed to be here. But I'm just worried. What if she's not going to show up? Because, dude, like... She's going to show no, up. No, but, dude, it's... She didn't, like, like it the first time that she tried to watch it. And if she's going to try and watch it again, then, like, that's probably not going to be a good idea. Yeah, but did she cancel on you? Well, uh, no, but... Did she cancel on you? No, but... Did she, so she's going to be here. Okay. She's going to yes, be here. But just because someone doesn't cancel on you... But she, like, she didn't cancel, what so she, she's going to be here, okay? Us? You know, what if it's a ghost podcast? Like, I don't know how to host with a ghost. Like, I know how to host with a person. And I don't want to get into God's territory we'll do it, man. Here. Me and you. And Christ, we'll, wait, do wait, 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 Me and you. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. She's talking right now. Hey, so, hey, Alice, how you doing? You're looking, you're looking great today. Hey, guys. Hey, um... So Michael thinks you're not going to do it because you don't like it, and this is going to be hate watch. No, no, no. I'm just saying. That's what you said. That's I, what you said. I'm saying that you you did at one point watch it, and it was a hate watch. But I'm just saying. And what did could, I say? What did I say, dude? Didn't I say she hate watch? You said not a hate watch. That's we're on the record, therefore. But Alice, um, I guess the question's on the table: Is this is a hate watch or not a hate watch? Ah, uh, it's a little complicated. God damn. Well, there you have it. Welcome, everyone, to Not A Hate Watch. Uh, it is me, it's the information here, as always, with Alice. Alice, how are you? Hi. Hello. Um, I've, watched, I've watched a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You watched a good chunk of it. And here as our uh, expert that we like to bring in sometimes with shows, a good friend of mine and a lover of it, uh, a person who I have done a uh, bracket of to determine our favorite episodes of It's Always Sunny and voting on it from there on out. It is Adam Bielgard. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing fabulous, Michael. Now, you are in the um, Girls Have Fire extended universe because you are part of Twagist, uh, which Alice, of course, was the initiator of. So you are yep. within this world. Okay. Um, so I want to welcome you to, to Not a Hate Watch. Uh, I'm going to ask this for you before we get in with Alice. Um, how did you get into It's Always Sunny? What is your relationship with it? And what is it about it? Because we're both on the pro side of it. What is uh, you about it that you like? Oh, God. It is um, – it's not even an acquired taste. I don't th – I personally – I would be honestly impressed if somebody powered through and said, okay, yeah, it's growing on me. It is polarizing. It is it is Rick and Morty. It is before Rick and Morty. It was always sunny. It was that uh, that line in the sand that either you were okay with it or you weren't. And it it was my type of dark humor. I got into it. I think from the very beginning. I remember watching the pilot on FX on TV on cable back when I still had cable because. I am a big Venture Brothers fan, and FX would run reruns of Venture Brothers. Oh, nice. And so it was either right before or right after, and I thought, oh, I'll give this a chance. And right away, just, you know, irreverent, dark, crude humor, and I said, I have found my people. 
That's really interesting. I, I will say how I find it, because I want to get into Alice. Because um, as we alluded to, it's true, you did watch this once and very quickly noped out. And I can't remember how far you got into it, but go ahead and describe your experience first watching it, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so I've been hearing about this show for a long time, because I was really into reading like online TV recaps and stuff at like the AV club and elsewhere. And so like, I'd always hear about this show and hear how, you know, it's about people who are despicable, but they're, but they're, but they're, but they're terrible and, and it's funny. And I had been meaning to watch it. And one time I think I was in a, I think I was, it was either like I was, I was browsing around on one of the streaming services or I was in a hotel room or something. And I, and I came upon an episode and I started it. And in the first Five seconds of the of the um, episode, uh, Caitlin Olson D calls someone a faggot, and I was like, "Oh, nope, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. That's it." <laughs> yes, and that was when you said that. I was like, "Oh, I completely understand why you would nope out real quick and be like, not the show for me." Yeah, like, like, and like, I, I knew that. I knew that that was that was it's like stock and trade. It's it, it's kind of like I, I, I this this might be reductive, and I don't, I don't mean to be in, for it to be insulting, but it's kind of like South Park in terms of like it will go there with its humor sort of thing. And mm. I know, and I and like I I knew that it was just also just like I don't have to listen to straight people call people faggot. Is 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 more of it? It was more of a me thing, if anything. Oh yeah, no, absolutely true. And there was a while that I I wouldn't have watched this show at a certain point. Like, this would have been the kind of show where I would have been, it would have just been too offensive for me. It would have crossed the line. Um, but it it hit at the time for me where I first saw an episode of this um, when I was like a senior in college. Uh, it's a very interesting scenario where I was exploring my sexuality and went on a uh, date slash hookup on what was the original grinder called Manhunt.net. Oh, and God. And I went up to... Ames, which was our college town, and so the person and I did, uh, like, before Netflix and chill, we were just, like, cable and chill, and they were watching um, It's Always Sunny, and it was the, one of the episodes we watched, it was the reunion episode, part one and part two, and so I basically was watching this show while also basically trying to interpret the signals with this person next to me to figure out what was going to be happening, so I was watching it and not watching it, and I just remember being like, this show is very odd and i knew danny devito was in it but i didn't know anyone else in it and then it gets to the end where they're having the like sweat fever dream dance and i was like oh, okay i think i get the show but didn't seek it out until years later when i well not years later it would have been actually later that summer it feels like years later uh one of my friends who worked at a radio group said you should come over to my house and hang showed me um some episodes of it's always sunny not these ones but some other ones that got me into it and then i just started watching it myself and you know was watching it ever since Now, Alice, let's talk about this watch. Let's get into it. What did you think of the show on our buffet best of sampling to try and give you a little bit of, of uh, It's Always Sunny as it has gone through the years from early? And then uh, probably what we think is a lot of people peak, you know, around season seven. Yeah. So I you gave me a list of episodes to watch in a... Kind of, kind of chronological, not really chronological order. Um, it started with an episode. The I think it's the first episode from season two, mm -hmm. um, which I think is also the first episode where Frank gets introduced. If, if that if is correct, what you told me is correct. Yeah, um, and that was kind of a that was kind of just like a time warp, just because it's 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 an SD. They were filming with with VHS cameras. It looks mm -hmm. terrible. It looks it looks like a completely different show. Uh, oh. If I'm honest, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
The first and, and, season even looks rougher, if you can imagine. Oh it. yeah, no, I believe it. I believe it. And 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 that one, I was like, I was like, I get what's going on here. I don't necessarily find it funny, but I understand it. I think it was just a little leading a little hard on the. We got to go to the strip club and and get lap dances as as the plot driver, which is which I don't know. I I I, I think that that episode in particular wasn't the wasn't gonna like I'm never gonna jive with that even if I liked this show more um but but like I like I will say like I didn't like want to turn it off or stop watching it I didn't I didn't feel like repulsed or anything it was more just like okay this is this is kind of exactly what I assumed it would be and then as I worked my way through the episodes I would say I definitely started to see it become more like robust and mature I think I started to like because I was only kind of dipping in and out of different seasons but I definitely got to see more of the characters although I do want to talk about the characterization a little bit because I have some questions oh, um, absolutely but 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 like like especially the last few episodes like the reunion episodes and then the the last episode that you had me watch which is like the one with the health inspection mm-hmm. um like those felt like sitcom episodes like in the way that I think like I expected like I I would expect a, a sitcom to be um the the thing I kept coming back to is there was another show that I really loved called You're the Worst which was also on FX and it was also kind of it was, it's, it, I guess it's, it's, it's a similar premise that it's about people who are terrible being like terrible to one another and then also being nice to one another and stuff. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot more like story and, and character focused than, than it always, it's always sunny, but I kind of kept comparing the two and it was like, oh, the, like when I, when I realized the, the health inspection episode, like, oh, this is like a, this is like a really long one take episode, like, like. Um, uh, you're the worst kind of, party. Yeah. 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 You're the worst kind of did that, <laughs> did that exact same thing too. Um, and so and so and so that felt really familiar, but I did like how, especially in the reunion episode, it really did throw me for like they got me when they when they had when they when they build up to this big dance sequence and then they're dancing and then it, and then when it re- it's revealed that they're all just dreaming it and everyone sees them as being actual losers. That was I, that was very funny and I and I did really like that. Um, but I think one of the things that that kept I kept coming back to is like it feels like the humor comes from the characters being idiots like 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 almost always like even 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 in the even like even in the episodes where they kind of get a comeuppance it still kind of either seems like accidental or something like it like like um and and I think that's that's maybe why I didn't find it as funny as I think other people do is just because like, I don't want to laugh at people because they're stupid. If that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it's just not, it's just not something I find as funny in comparison to people who are, who are, you know, moderately intelligent, but inept or good meaning, but are, but are doing the wrong thing or something along those lines. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I think for me, the fact that they all are, it, they're all idiots in their own way. And then obviously very smart in their own way, but they use that smarts for obviously terrible things. And it is this sort of, this show to me makes me realize, I'm the first person to make this comparison, I won't be the last, why people liked Seinfeld. Because Mm -hmm. it is that thing of the time where you're just watching people break all the social rules and then, uh, you know, the 
basically getting off with light consequences or like as you said accidental consequences or accidental stuff where it just seems to me you know where they do come up it's, but it's never enough to get down and then every episode it resets and it just seems like okay we're back to like where we were square one they're just mm-hmm. running the bar and trying another scheme and like yep. rinse repeat yeah and, and and so like the the other show this reminded me of a lot was was veep in in that that's another show where i like everyone's mean and everyone's sniping at each other and, and calling each other names but i think like the the thing the the thing i felt like it encapsulated it really well for me was in the second reunion episode when when judy greer shows up and i fucking love judy greer mm-hmm. happy to see her anytime she's anytime she shows up in any show like the the bit about her was just that the, like they just kept calling her fat even though she wasn't fat now and it, it like it never felt like it built on that it was just like i'm just gonna keep repeating the same thing over and over again and like i like i i understand that as a like form of comedy it just that that just didn't do it for me Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I saw I'm rewatching the series and I saw the episode where they introduce her character into it, uh, which is called Fatty Magoo versus the Lumina Monster, where it's basically revolves around D being so upset that her life that um uh uh I can't think of the character's name I was oh we'll call her Fatty Magoo um but her life is so much better that she just tries to like scheme to like make it worse and of course it all just falls on top of D and makes her look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, do you want to jump in here and be our episode guide, our liaison, our person who's going to take us through um, our series selection so we can talk a little bit about why we picked the ones we did um, and get Adam's reaction, or excuse me, get Alice's reaction, um, because the episodes we picked are a lot of fan favorites that are mixed in here, as well as a couple ones that we specifically picked because they're our favorites. Um, or ones that we ranked on there. Uh, in fact, there were again, some disagreements of which ones were put on there. Uh, Frank, I put on Frank's Little Beauties, and that was one where Adam was like, really? You sure you want to put that on there? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I want to. Um, so we'll go ahead and do it uh, with the first episode. We mentioned it, but yeah, uh, season two, episode one, Charlie gets crippled. Yeah. Um, okay, so big picture and to the point of, of what you were talking about a second ago real quick and we, we see this a little bit here again you know second season um they don't know that they're even gonna get a third season they didn't even think they were gonna get a second season but then fred savage pulled some strings and they get danny devito of all people and this is where the show starts to get its feet um but the thing that's really interesting, if I was going to analyze this and make it a thought experiment, is what you're saying is these people have no redeeming qualities. They are horrible, horrible people. But every episode, and for me unconsciously, um, I don't think I'm actually thinking in terms like this, but unconsciously, you find yourself rooting for the lesser of five evils. They somehow mm-hmm. make one of these idiots, the protagonist, even though they're all these bumbling anti-heroes. Yeah. So that's that's the interesting thing is how they manage to do that. Um, because, in, you know, in the first season, like, D was the straight person. She was the one, you guys, don't do that. But now she is as dumb as the rest of them and getting mm-hmm. into as much trouble as the others with her and, scheming. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Yeah. But that's what's so interesting now is is... And to, to echo Michael's statement from earlier, you know, it is Seinfeld. Back in the 90s, they were horrible people mm-hmm. that had no redeeming qualities. They were all selfish and and self-centered and gross versions of, you know, New York yuppies. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, mm-hmm. So in this uh, in this episode, 
we are introduced to Frank Reynolds, which uh, is interesting because they played this out in a couple of episodes, but Dennis and Dee have, have had two father figures in their life. One is their biological dad, and one was uh, the, the father from um, Seventh Heaven. Can't think of the actor's name. Uh, Stephen Stephen Collins, correct? Stephen Collins, currently the problematic one. Yes, the very canceled person. Yes, yes. Yes. Who, unfortunate Iowa connection, is from here and moved back here and is like, yeah, yeah, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, um, uh, as you, as Alice was talking about earlier, you know, um, we're introduced to Frank. Uh, what I would say to the point about, you know, leaning heavily on the strip clubs is we see this, this de-evolution because Frank is loaded. He has made lots of uh, un- untold wealth. We don't know how rich he actually is um, through different prosperous business ventures. And Dee and Dennis have grown up with this life of luxury that they've known spoiled. And so what we see here is the beginning of Frank's downfall to where he is sharing a bed with Charlie. They have a Folgers can that they use as the bathroom. He's taught a toe knife that he uses to clean his his feet and uh, all these other things that have become um, part of their character. And it all starts with Frank realizing, you know, this is his two-thirds life crisis. (laughs) Yeah. And so he uh, he's like, this is great. I'm going back to my roots. I want to be, I want to live in the slum with you guys. I want to, I want to, you know, party all night and sleep it off the next day. I don't want to be responsible anymore. So that's where we get the first hint of his character arc is in that episode. Um, I'm trying to think of some other interesting things about this episode. To I, I will up. say. In- incredible guest stars. Incredible guest stars. You you had Natasha Leggero and Tiffany Haddish as strippers. And that, the yeah. thing, and I did not realize she was in this until I rewatched it for this, and I saw that in the credits. I was like, oh my god, she was the third stripper. Yeah. And well, and the, at first I was like, is that Natasha Leggero? And I was like, why why would she be doing being a stripper on this show? Yeah. But, but, but no, it is. It is. And then also, yep. and um, then Tiffany Haddish comes in. And then also from George Lucas talk show fame, uh, Josh Fadum is the is the other the other guy in a wheelchair that 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 the two of yep. them run into at the mall. Yep. When they're when they're faking it. Yeah. <laughs> but like but there there very was I think a, a clear difference in terms of like where the jokes were coming from like like the style of storytelling from that episode to like much later. Oh, um yeah. I'm I'm curious, do you have a preference for like older versus newer? Do you like it all equally? I can speak having I'm in the middle of season three and there are so many quote banger episodes, even this early on, like just because it's one of those shows that they also do a bunch of pastiches. So they have a great like million dollar baby parody episode within it. They have a lot. So even that on, you know, like the first three episodes of season three is a streak that is so incredible uh, it, because the second one is the gang, the gang goes jihad, where they basically try and like set up the neighboring bar and accidentally make a tape that makes them look like terrorists. Uh, and the third one is uh, 
uh, uh, Dennis and Dee get addicted to crack, where they basically try to get welfare because their unemployment check is more than what they were making at the bar. But to be able to do that, they have to prove that they're crack addicts. So to become crack addicts, to get crack in their blood, they just become addicted to crack. And so just become crack addicts. While the other plot is that uh, Charlie and Dennis use the money that Frank is stashing in Charlie's account. Or Charlie and Mac, yeah. To, like, just live it up. And so there's just moments where it's basically, like, you know, rich man, poor man, uh, you know, pastiche going in through there. Mm -hmm. But it's just three episodes where I'm like, oh, gosh, even early on, no. These episodes are good. But I – it's hard for me to say where it peaks because they're all just – I just like it all. Like there's very few episodes where I go, boo, no thanks. I, I, every one of them has something or some joke in it that I really love. Yeah, I okay. think that makes sense. I think I think for me, I definitely could see myself watching the later seasons before I would go back. and Like I think I would really need to love the characters before I could, I, I could handle, I think, the earlier stuff. But that, I mean, yeah, that's just me. I would agree because also the humor is that – mid-2000s humor where they can definitely go a lot of places where because i grew up with it i'm used to it but yeah showing someone like from a younger generation i'm really curious how it would play because you're right they do drop um the 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 arsler and the f-bomb and i mean even in the first season the first episode where the gang gets racist they're dropping the n-word and i'm just like oh wow like you know that's part of the reason i don't show people the first season it's like they're well they bring that back in the 12th season Oh yes, yeah, they do, um, and uh, well, yes, they. There's also the yeah the um, the f uh, slur they use they use censored in a later season because uh, they're trying to get Frank is trying to get Max's attention and he can't hear him so he just yells the f slur at him and Max stops and that's what saves his life. So he's like, I saved your life by doing a hate crime. I'm sorry, but like you paid attention, didn't you? Kind of thing. Um, but anyways. Uh, any more thoughts on this episode? I know we kind of got your initial thoughts on it, um, but I think you'll see us later on. Kind of questions that I'd be curious about is what you think the character's strengths and weaknesses are, and how those kind of get played into it, and how these episodes sort of like play out from there on. Yeah, I, I will say watching this episode, I think because it was focused so heavily on. Like Frank coming in and and Dennis and Dee's characters, like like them taking their stuff out of the out of the the, the mansion. Mm-hmm. I I was a little confused because it definitely felt like Dennis was going between like high status, low status, like like snob versus idiot, really like ping ponging back and forth. And again, this is probably just the episode, the the the, the nature of watching a bunch of episodes, a bunch of di- disparate episodes. But that his character the most felt like. Oh, I feel like there's. I feel like there's. Le- like I. I don't understand what's going on here. It feels like he's. He's almost like a different person from episode to episode. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting thesis there that we can maybe talk about as this characterization goes on. Yeah. Um But but let's get to the the next episode, uh, Adam. Do you? Uh, uh, I don't want you to ruin everything. I want you to introduce everything. Do you want to introduce our next episode? One interesting thing to note, um, and he's talked about this before, but uh, if you notice. Uh, Charlie Day becomes Charlie Kelly. Glenn uh, McElhenney becomes Mac. Ron or Rob doesn't use his real name. He is Dennis because he wanted to separate himself from how horrible a person Dennis really is. Hmm. So yeah, he did, that's why sense. he didn't go with his real name. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that has the most interesting relationship with the show overall. Um, it's very public that he almost left the show a few times or just maybe they weren't sure if he'd come back. Um, 
but they rescheduled the production season around it. it helped they're doing less episodes now than they did and i think that's partly why he's been able to kind of get it and hasn't been burnt out from it but he is the one that i think has the most distance between himself and the character just in terms of like you know probably a relationship with it yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting because I've seen Caitlin Olsen in other stuff. Like, I saw her in Hacks, and I know she had that show on Fox, The Mick, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, and it feels like she, it feels like even, even here, she's kind of, like, even between here and Hacks, where the characters aren't that similar. I guess they're all, they're both, like, children of, of rich people. Mm -hmm. There's still, there's still something to that, that, it's like she's playing, like, the same spirited character in each of these. And so I thought that, I thought that was really interesting. I, 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 and so, like, that is one, like, one reference point I had. And the other reference point I have is that I've watched Mythic Quest. And so um, seeing Rob in that show compared to what the character he is in this show was really surprising. Oh, yeah. They're very different characters. And I, I that's a comparison that's going to be int especially interesting as we go into all of uh, Max Evolution and uh, his, his subtle and not so subtle subplots. All right. Next episode we have the World Series Defense, Season 5, Episode 6. Okay, so um, a quick overview for people who haven't seen it. What happens is the gang that's told as, um, I would say, semi-reliable or semi-unreliable narrators. Uh, it's the gang retelling the story of why they have parking tickets. And it's because they were going to the World Series because the Phillies were in it. And they lost their tickets to the World Series because they were in the apartment while the apartment was being fumigated. So they tried to break in. And then they got locked in the tunnels under the stadium. Um, so it's a, what's interesting about this one is how much material they're able to put into what would otherwise be a bottleneck episode. Because the whole point is, you know... The, the goal here is, hey, we're going to the World Series. We've already purchased the tickets. It's not like last minute they decided they want to go. They, everything is laid out for them, but because of their own ineptitude and because of bed bugs, because of you know Charlie living in squalor with Frank, they probably brought them back to the to said apartment. Um, you know that's where it, it starts off uh, with the apartment getting fumigated and they can't find their tickets. Alice, what were your thoughts on this episode, the World Series defense? Um, this this one was more a little more my speed. I liked the framing device of them telling the story and then kind of like cutting back and forth between it. Um, especially especially because that came back later in the 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 another episode that we watched later, where they where it's very similar. They're telling they're tell they're recapping events to someone, and they get to kind of like Rashomon, like that's that's not how it happened, sort of stuff. Um. I will say I thought it was cool that they filmed. It looks like they actually filmed in Philadelphia for this one, mm -hmm. um, and and so getting to see getting to see all the stuff around the stadium was pretty cool. Um, I it felt like this is this episode is when I started to feel like oh there's there's a lot more to that, that I'm not catching here. I think the the main thing was like um, the Green Man. I didn't know what the hell that was. If that was a thing before, I assume it was. Um, it is, but it is exactly what you saw there. There is really no much more to it. I saw, I happened to have seen the episode where the origin is, and it's just there was a high school mascot, and they didn't really have one, so it was just Charlie being Green Man. So him okay. wanting to like be Green Man with the Philly fanatic is just simply a callback to the fact he likes to dress up in a green suit. And remember, it's the frenetic 
right? Yes, right, yes, the, yes. the Philly frenetic because they, they will get sued. Yes, of which they name drop it at the very end, anyways. Which a great joke. I didn't, I didn't catch that, but when when they said it at the end, it was like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it was it, like again, I think it was. I felt like I started to see the 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 seams a little just because just because like I know that like part of sitcoms is finding different ways to pair different pair different characters together and giving them different plots and things. I thought this one was was kind of interesting. This was again I think where the um Dennis characterization felt like it was going up and down in, in a way. Um but 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 outside of that no, it was it was it was a good episode. I I I have no I have no complaints, I will say. Yeah, I think you're right in that this was a good one to kind of get, it builds on the character's personality, strengths, and weaknesses. And it, you, the thing you talk about, Dennis and ping ponging, I find that funny that you that you isolated that because I think all the characters do that. You know, maybe Dennis is at the more extreme degrees in terms of like you know intelligence and stuff, but like I think of Frank's like business acumen's and the fact that he's always able to like pull off. Um, scams or turn things around for profit like basically get him out of situations but then we'll also just devolve into like debauchery where he's you know taking lsd or pooping you know outside climbing you know, naked out of a leather couch yeah exactly you know, well you know that which happens in an episode um you know stuff where like that you know so I, 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 but uh Let's let's talk a little bit about that because I think the world series, the world series defense shows a little bit of this. Um, what are your thoughts on? We'll talk about D and a little bit of what her strengths and weaknesses are, and what you kind of have seen so far. And you can talk about some of the other episodes we've seen as well, but just some of hers, uh, Alice. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think I liked that she gets to be as as you know as dumb and as 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 mean as everyone else in the episodes like there's a world mm-hmm. where where she is mean but she is she's always the straight person or she's always the one getting like the comeuppance and and it's like a it's like a women smart and men dumb thing and i think i i think i would have liked that less um i really i did i, I will say like for her character and and Caitlin Olsen's performance is what i kind of anchored onto at the like at what i in the first few episodes especially just because mm-hmm. I, I i was just finding it, i was just finding it really enjoyable um yeah, I, I I liked that she's pretty intricate in most of the plots. I will say in the 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 other episode I mentioned, where which is also the framing device episode, the 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 Marine Ponderosa wedding massacre. Mm-hmm. She she got she didn't have as much to do in that one. And I felt a little bad, but but otherwise, no. I I I um I I I, I thought that her playing the like desperate for love and attention, um, girl who was you know, not treated well in high school and then, and then got more conventionally attractive was, was, was good. Um, yeah, I, 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 I liked her character a lot. Good. Uh, Adam, what are some of your thoughts on D? you know, obviously more holistic with the whole series and everything and kind of her role within the, the gang. What's interesting is, uh, how much she can put up with because she always ends up being the heel no matter what she does. Um, I mean, there's an episode called Frank Sets Sweet D on Fire. Where oh, Frank I saw that sets episode just now. It's Sweet so D great. Sweet D on Fire. Um, the, their nickname for her is Bird. They call her Bird or Dumb Bird or Stupid Bird every chance they get. Um, it comes up, I would say, if not once every episode, episode every other episode. But it, it stems from her her desire to please other people and get that affirmation. Um she very much has a, um, for lack of a better term, praise kink. And so she mm-hmm. wants to be 
seen as somebody who is invaluable to the group. And so whenever they're coming up with a plan, no matter what they're trying to do, she will shoehorn herself in. And of course, they immediately shut her down. But it it's not enough to for her to be like, okay, well, this is not going anywhere. I'm leaving. She keeps coming back. And that's... I think that's that's both her character flaw and her strength. I think she is used a lot as the person who they bring in um, to kind of as their rescue plan. Like, you know, wants to be involved, is pushed out, then they end up having to bring her in. But as you alluded to, she, the first person that will pay her a compliment, she will flip on a dime and will just betray you for her own ego. And I, I don't think we get that much into it, but her big desire is acting and wanting to be an actress and being funny. And so, so much of her subplot too is getting into scenarios where she's trying to be an artist and stuff like that. So I relate to a lot of her subplots about the jokes that have it. One of the ones we did where um, she gets into street theater because she she sees some anti-smoking people doing it and she's like, oh, this is powerful, this is real. So then she tries to do her own version of it, which is of course like, doesn't get to the point at all and try to get Charlie involved and Charlie just ends up like throwing up on himself for the first time because he's so nervous, you know, so things don't go for right for her there either, but she's just as bad herself. Um, but her, yeah, I really like her because she is that glue of, she's not this, she never is the one that is the smartest, but she's the one that's quickest to point out where things fail and to point out other people's hubris, but also like everyone else can't help herself at all in any regard to like better it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I liked in I liked in the first episode we watched the, where where everyone's pretending to be disabled. She she also comes in and does the like I'm pretending to be disabled thing, but then she does it only in service of finding someone to date, and she doesn't spend a lot of her time as much of her time like rubbing it into the other guys. It's just like nope, I can also do this, and she has her own thing going, and then it kind of all comes back to her. Like it all comes back to her because of um, the way the episode ends, but like, but yeah, I, th I, 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 I kind of like that. You can see her spinning out into doing her own thing and then just getting pulled back in. I think that I think that's a good that's a good way to to have a character like that. Indeed, uh, I think we can go to the next episode because we'll be able to talk a bit about some of these other characters as we weave through here. Um, this one is another titular episode where we have a character who gets named. We This one uh, it has our record here in terms of he has three episodes in our list named after him. It is Charlie's Mom Has Cancer. This one is a bit of a season jump because the next batch all are in season seven. There's three in a row, but this one's from season eight. Um, Charlie's Mom Has Cancer is also a callback episode that doesn't necessarily need you to know that. But there's an episode called Charlie Has Cancer. Um, which mm, okay. I think might be from the first season where they he does a similar thing that happens in this episode with his mom. But to get that recap, we're going to go to Adam, the expert. Adam. <laughs> the expert, thanks. Um, <laughs> okay, so again, in this one, a quick uh, overview for anybody who doesn't know. Um, we have not seen these characters yet uh, in this listing, but Charlie and Max Mother's are both single women who they um, they get to live together, even though they're polar opposites. Charlie's mom has verifiable but undiagnosed OCD. Um, Max's mom is is the gruff, nonverbal smoker who will ash anywhere, and so they drive each other crazy. But they live together because the guys think it's going to be like a Golden Girls type deal. So um, in this episode. You know, Charlie uh, um, 
is we see it, it starts off right away. He's um, he's just using his mom to do all all of the gang's laundry, and she's she's trying to have a conversation with him, and she interjects, and finally she says, "I have cancer." You know, she just drops it on him because he's not letting her talk. So um, in that callback, what we do is um, we find out. Well, uh, what what happens is she doesn't have insurance, so they're having to raise the money for her cancer treatment, and that's where they put together a benefit for her at the pub, and they're trying to... Uh, wait, wait, wait. wait. You, you have to talk about Dr. Jinx. Okay, okay. So um, she is seeing somebody named Dr. Jinx, and this is another great cameo. Uh, Sean Puffy Combs himself plays... Uh, Dr. Jinx, who, spoiler alert, later on says, oh, yo, I, I never said I was a doctor. You guys, you guys said that. So um, he's actually a musician, and he's also a, a gardener for the church. He's the, the groundskeeper. So in his apartment, which is this, like, garage warehouse studio, uh, he has all kinds of plants, and he's, he's a pretty big horticulturalist. So they go to see him about, you know, Charlie's mom and some, you know, homeopathy that he That was liked. that that was like I mean obviously the fact that it was Puff Daddy playing Dr. Jinx was 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 surprising. Um they did I th- I thought they did a pretty effective like is he a real doctor isn't he a real doctor thing. Um this was definitely the the first episode where I was like, "Oh, these are characters who have been previously established and I don't really know what's going on." Um I got. I kind of got. All, I think I got most of it from from you know context clues in the episode itself. But the fact that there was previously an episode where Charlie got cancer makes a lot more things make sense all of a sudden. Yeah, and that was the one where I was like leaning a bit toward. Well, will we get it? But then when I watched it, I'm like, no. There's enough context clues. You'll get it. And it is just such a. It has such a funny arc in terms of the scam and where it goes and how far. Charlie's mom, spoiler alert, takes the fact that she says she has cancer and then doesn't, and everything that revolves around that. Well, the thing, too, is they, they, they do a good job of, of teasing this because, again, Mac's mom is a chain smoker. She uses her old one to light the new one. And so, you know, Charlie and Charlie is just bewildered. He's like, Mom, you're, you're, you're so healthy. Otherwise, you take such good care of yourself. How did you get lung cancer? We all think that either it's going to be she got it secondhand or... She's doing this for Max Mom because Max Mom would never be the face for a charitable front, but Max Mom is the one who really needs the operation. And then we come to find out they're the ones who drove into the church statue, and they're and they're the ones. And it's just this little it's just this little throwaway line after the church service when the the priest is receiving them. Um, he says, oh, will you be joining us later for this this charity? And again, it's it's just this little thing because Charlie flips out. And he's like, my mom has cancer and you're talking about this stupid fundraiser. But then it comes back to, well, the reason she has quote-unquote cancer is so that people will give money so that they can fix the statue that they drove into. And, and another throwaway joke that, again, the only other one that you would need to know is at the end where he says, why did you do this? And he said, I learned it by watching you, Charlie. I learned it by watching you. you. Um, so what what other thoughts did you have about this episode, Alice? This was kind of a, I, I, we picked this one because um, it does get the moms in here and you get to learn more about their dynamic a bit. Um, Yeah, I, th- I thought this one, I thought this one was all right. I will say I, it, it, felt 
more I think especially compared to the first two episodes that we watched it felt more sitcommy I would say than the, than than the other ones it felt more like I could see this plot happening on any show not just not just it's always sunny mm-hmm. um not to say that, that that's bad but I think it also was like oh okay it's not all just they're doing literally the absolute worst thing all the time like every episode like they they they, they take their foot off the gas a little bit on some of that stuff yeah, and that's part of the reason that's on there, too, is because it's an episode where they're trying to do good, and in the end, it still ends up being a hijinks that is out of their control. Well, you, you fake cancer to get charitable donations, so... Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and then, you know, and then the speech that they have, you know, Charlie's speech, you know, where he's so angry about it. Money, me now, me money, me want money, which is a, a running gag about Charlie's illiteracy, which starts, I, I realized, yeah, as early as season two and three, where the, he basically is illiterate, and whenever he writes stuff out, it is the most nonsensical garbage that he can interpret, but no mm. one else can. Okay. So our next episode is one of the ones that I like. I find this one extraordinarily funny, and it maybe just because it's the fact that it has to do with um, satiring beauty pageants, uh, which is one of my favorite things because I hate uh, beauty pageants for kids. It is another titular one. It is Frank's Little Beauties, Season 7, Episode 3. Adam, do you want to give us a rundown of Frank's Little Beauties? Oh, Lord. Okay, so... Um... Or do you want? Or do you want me to take this one? I don't know if I want to put this one on you. No, no, no. I, I will. I'm just. I, I'm gonna say, um, if uh, if you think beauty pageants are gross, then this is just gonna reaffirm your uh, your presuppositions because, um, so Frank, the businessman, uh, starts off starts off the episode in a panic. And what the gang... Like a blind, a blind panic. panic. He's like, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm screwed. Yeah. And and so through his ramblings, the gang is able to to piece together that in a strip club, he met another man who said, hey, I've got a business venture for you. And Frank, ever the entrepreneur, said, I'm in. Only to realize that when he signed on for beauty pageants, it was child beauty pageants. And then the guy who he partnered with got busted for inappropriate conduct. Hit, as they said, quote, hitting on one, of the, one of the contestants. And before the reveal of their children, since they hit on the contestants, the gang's like, well, okay, so that's, is that a big deal? He's like, no, you don't understand. And like, what's the issue? And then the punchline is the children walk in and they're in the pageant gear. And he says, that's the issue. The women come in first and the gang's like, oh, oh, oh hey, ladies. Oh, it looks like somebody forgot their swimsuits. And they say, girls, get in here. Nope. And then the, the these little 10-year-olds come in. So, um, so they they end up getting stuck with this beauty pageant, and they have to see it to fruition, because if they cancel, it's going to look bad. Like Frank is canceling because he has something to hide, because he got in business with this guy. So they're gonna do the best job they know how, which is not at all good. And they even encourage the participation of an auditor who comes by to make sure that everything is above board. Um, Throughout the whole thing, Frank is just beside himself with panic, saying everything that he should be thinking out loud. And and that's one of the running gags there. Um, This one also has callbacks. Uh, One of my... Not, I'm not going to say favorite, but one that I really appreciated was uh, Danny DeVito uh, was the Penguin. Mm-hmm. 
And there is a line from that movie where he says, it could be worse. I could be gushing blood from my nose. And as he's running into the bar panicking, he trips and falls on his face. And they go, oh, Frank, your nose is blushing. Your nose is gushing blood. And so I think that's a that's a clever little twist. Well, and the fact that his makeup when he gets the funeral makeup is is grotesque and looks yes. like the penguin <laughs> to cover up to cover up his bruised and broken face. He goes to the, a mortician because that's the only person who will do that kind of work for him. Well, wait, no, he 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 thinks he's the only one. Well, who yeah, that's do his, that they said. Him. Why did you go to a mortician? He says, "What do you want to do? Go to the counter at Macy's?" Yes, well, that's true. And so, uh, in the end, what yeah. ends up what's happening here? The twist is the auditor, who is from the I can't even remember what the name of it is the the Family and Child Protection Agency or whatever, ends up being a pedophile that comes in and gets arrested in a sting operation on the during the pageant that they're running, and the whole gang as soon as the feds bust the door and the whole gang they just put their hands up danny devito gets on the ground he goes oh i'm done i'm done <laughs> but they weren't even there for for him hey i'll and I'll, I'll say some of the reasons that i like this episode as well um i <laughs> just the conceit is amazing I, part of the thing that i love that we didn't talk about is that the other members of the gang dennis mac charlie and d all use the pageant to get out their own neuroses about like their up- upbringing and their childhood and like what they want to do. And D takes on one of the girl pageants and like says, oh, "I'm going to partner you with you and make a song." And then basically creates her own original song about how mom stinks that she sings, does all the words for, her, and is basically acting it out herself. And the girl is just kind of there, and the mom's horrified. And then the three, <laughs> the three guys see that there's a very effeminate, very into the pageant kid, or guy, or boy, and um, uh, they are like, "Oh no, this we're worried about this." And so they're like, "Well, we're gonna like," but they're not worried about him in the way like they just want to make sure he like. They know he can dance and sing. He's like, that's awesome. But we got to, like, man it up a bit. So they do this, like, insane patriotic uh, Yankee Doodle went to town where he has, like, abs that are drawn on and makes it the gayest thing that's ever happened. And it's incredible. And I love it. And they have their own, like, they're the backup dancers in the back for this production. Like, they do an opening, the three of them do an opening number to open up the pageant. Like, it just is so crazy to do it where it's also intervened with <laughs> Frank Reynolds saying that he needs to make a song about how they don't diddle kids and then is on stage <laughs> trying to like get the number and like trying to vo- vamp for time and sings about how we we don't diddle kids da, 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 we don't I I like women who are above age and are, are closer to me I've had a wife da 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 you know, just uh, the absolute like word vomit from it all I just find it very funny even though of course the, the, the basic premise of of it is something that I should find so horrific. I can't. I, it is one of my favorite episodes. At, with all that, Alice, take it away. Yeah, I, I, I will say I felt like they, they, they hit Frank talking about diddling kids a little too hard. Felt like they just kept 
circling back on that. Um, I liked the other stuff. I was really surprised how intricate the, the like when the, when the pageant starts, the 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 four adults who aren't Frank all are in are doing this like song and dance number to introduce it. And part of me was thinking like, oh, this is gonna get interrupted because it's like, why are the adults doing it? But it actually just ends up being kind of sincere and and, and successful and much more elaborate than I was expecting. I think that helped prepare me for some of the other episodes that we Another watched throwback. later it's a as nice... well. Yeah, the, the nice costumes for, and oh, and dancing is a, an homage, and I don't know which one came first, but it's to both um, the um, talent show from Revenge of the Nerds and Devo. I can't get no satisfaction. The music video. Oh, it's okay. A callback I, that, to, that was to completely lost because on me. one is a parody of the other, and and theirs is a parody of both of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and then and then also the 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 lady who is the, who is running the audio board the the sound for them was was clearly Artemis. someone who I had no idea yeah, who she Artemis. was. She's a recurring character. It's hard because she's she's in and out of the group. There's no real, but she's a friend of uh, a friend of D's that also becomes like a uh, what would be the word a cohort of Frank's and gets on his schemes a lot too. Mm, okay, but she's okay. amazing. She's one of my favorite characters because um, she's just so she's cool as fuck. Yeah. Um, I definitely saw the uh, the twist with the the inspector coming. Um, I guess I was expecting. I was expecting. I liked that they didn't end up redeeming the the D subplot with the girl who didn't who didn't mm-hmm. care. I was a little worried that was going to be like, oh, she wins and 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 isn't that great? And then it, that didn't happen. So that was I. I was into that. Um, yeah, I think I, I was I was a little mixed on this episode, but but there were definitely parts of it that I that I, did, I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I threw this one in fully knowing you might be mixed on it, and I was like, you know what? But I want to give one that I like that you might not necessarily find the most personal on there because I still wanted to kind of give a full gimmick. Because I think it gives a, it does give a, a you a a line of how far they're willing to go with the jokes and stuff. And if like you know to get a show of gauge or interest if you're interested in the holistically or not, I didn't want to throw one yeah. of those in there. Well, I mean, I, I will say, like the, the the idea that that Frank doesn't diddle kids by itself wasn't wasn't the oh, thing yeah, I had no, issue with. It was how often just, they like, hit it? Oh, it yeah, just, no. It was the it was it was, they hit it, and they also just kept using the phrase yes. "diddle kids" in a way that, like, I didn't think I didn't. For me, it didn't do the thing where, it, like, they say it so often I it comes can't. back, it comes, it becomes. Funny. I did. I'm sorry. I did ever just because yeah. of his like. It's just I think it's something about Danny DeVito specifically. I think that's the part for me that gets it is that he willingly and like wholeheartedly is like oh yes i want to be in this where i repeatedly say this because i'm just so, like yeah it's his I, that's the part i think that makes me transcend for a lot of this stuff is who these people are and knowing that layer of it to like the, the bit of distance between the characters on it well this is a frank titular episode let's talk a bit more about frank and break it down what do you think frank's strengths and weaknesses are um for the gang and what do you think he brings alice I mean, he seems like an agent of chaos in terms of of doing it, uh, uh, in terms of showing up and just like like always being like an X factor in terms of whatever they're scheming or whatever they're working on. Um, it was odd to me because I was thinking like, I guess people hang out with their dad like this, but th- that I don't know that I know I know I know I know that that's not like it, it doesn't seem like that's as much of a conceit of the show, but. That that was a little hard for me to buy into at first, but I mean it's it's Danny DeVito. He's he's great. Um, yeah, I, I would say I would say like I never felt I think in any of the episodes that he had any redeeming qualities. Whereas like in whereas like they would find ways to sneak in like oh Charlie really does care about the bar or you know or, or so on. Um, 
it felt like Frank never got one of those. I don't know if that's if that's just true or if if that just wasn't in the episodes that we watched. But I think that would make it a little harder for me longer term with the show is like whenever there's a character like that, I kind of find that I, I find that less and less charming as time goes on. That's interesting. I think he is uh, he's the one that is probably the most the probably the the worst of them all because he's the one that should know better because he is so old and everything like that and a lot of the the events involve him pulling the rug out from his kids to try and teach them a lesson but then of course he himself like isn't any better um to go like to your point of how like how low he'll go and stuff like i ran across an episode that involves their bio dad and their bio dad is like portrayed as someone who's willing to go above and beyond for everything but hates his kids because he realizes right away in the first episode he's they're basically like disgusted by his phil his philanthropy and his endeavors and he's just like y'all are terrible people and so they basically try and trick their dad into getting them part of the inheritance by having D by having Frank pose as D's fiance, to which he sees through right away. But the entire episode revolves around him pushing them to go as far as they can and even being like, Oh, I can't give you the money until I see you make love. And they're like, Oh, uh, we're saving ourselves for marriage. You know, he's like, Well, okay, well, we'll then have a wedding. I'm a licensed person. Like, sure. And so he does it and he basically goes to the wedding ceremony and says, All right, congratulations, Frank. You just married your daughter. And like, what you knew? He's like, Yeah. Of course I knew, but I want to see how low you go. And the answer is, there is no, like, you'll go as low as you can. You don't care. You're terrible, awful people, you know. So it's one of those things where it establishes so early that, but you're right. And Adam, we'll, we'll get your context for him too as well. But I would agree. I think he is the character that has the the worst moral axis of them all because he also is the one that is willing to screw them all over and has the most power to actually screw them all over but let's see but adam what do you think some of the redeeming qualities might be for frank if we if we put you in the witness stand for that oh boy redeeming qualities okay um and, and if there are none just say well it. <laughs> here's the thing as far as the show is concerned he is the catalyst he is the one because they all have harebrained schemes. He's the one who gets it done. I'd say with the exception of Dennis, who, who learned from Frank, um, because Dennis did put together a whole thing about um, sexual harassment in the workplace. Like, he funded an entire seminar, um, tricked a whole bunch of other bar owners into going because that because they got negative Yelp reviews or something like that just so he could get ahead of the curve and just so they could say, yes, we, you know, we, we dust our hands off and we're good to go. And so the reveal in that episode is that entire seminar of, of not sensitivity training, but like, um, I, I don't know what you'd call it, but that entire seminar was, was orchestrated by him. He's the one who paid to have these people come in and do this just so Patty's pub could be like, okay, you know, uh, we, we did this. We're good now. Um, but that is Frank's. That is what Frank brings to the table. Is he is the one? He has the money and the means with the connections, um, so that when they say, "We got this great idea," but he goes, "Oh no 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 buts. We're doing this." And so it's not a redeeming quality, yeah, I I, but as far as the show goes, it keeps it running. Oh yeah, and a lot of it has to do with his own ego. You know, he'll the gang will basically like neg him enough to where he'll start funding stuff you know to, to screw one or the other them or if someone else is trying to screw the gang he'll be the first one that's the one thing is he is the protective father and he will not let anyone else screw his kids unless he's involved in it 
And then, you know, he'll absolutely screw them or teach them a lesson and stuff. But he also is fiercely protective and, and like, is one of the ones that helps get the gang out of a lot of their situations, which, again, is maybe not a redeeming quality when we know everyone's moral compass in this gang is is pretty far out. But, yeah, he, he also is just the... He was the catalyst to provide a, a different person from a generation for this gang. Because if you think about it before, it would have been a sitcom about four people all the same age, like a How You Met Your Mother sort of dynamic. But Frank brings in this sort of magic serum where you can use him to bring in some of these older references, pastiches, and stuff uh, with his character as well. Yeah, Dave's there's a great episode. Oh, sorry. There's a great episode where they do a, uh, a, a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, basically, episode where Dane DeVito's character uh, gets put into an institution, and it was very great. Donkey brains. Yeah, it's, it's, Donkey it's brains. very deus ex machina with his money, you know? How did they yeah. get painted into a corner? How are they going to get out of this? Uh, he just bribed some city official. He just paid somebody off. He just mm-hmm. did something to, with his connections. And, and answers the question perpetually of how does this bar stay open and how how could it manage to exist with it? It's basically because, you know, Frank's account. That is just simply a uh, reason that it's always out there. All right. The next episode we have is a two-part one, but it's this is one that I think really gets into the gang's dynamic and gets you some background that even, again, since it came in season seven, we didn't know at the time, but is the High School Reunion episodes, uh, season seven, episode 12, and episode 13, the first two episodes I ever saw of it. Adam, let's get that breakdown. Okay, so uh, just like the name implies, it is their 20th high school reunion. Um, For whatever reason, they decide to show up um, in true Always Sunny gang fashion. They pre-game and uh, end up causing nothing but trouble. Everybody has their own... uh, arc that intertwines with each other uh, in terms of when they show up all this past trauma hits them and they are determined to escape this they're going to laugh in the places that they cried but the it's a Greek tragedy because the harder they try to escape who they were in high school the more they become who they were in high school where Dennis is uh, this egocentric who is just living in a fantasy world where he believes, uh, you know, all these people look up to him, but really it's just him going around acting like the emperor while they snicker behind his back. And D, um, who had that glow up, comes back and and she's like, "Oh, this is great! I'm going to be at the cool kids table." But she doesn't know how to handle that kind of power. Um, Charlie and Mac, who were the the losers, the the dirty kids come back and they're trying to prove that no that's not that's not me anymore um and then frank again as being the the catalyst for chaos sneaks in because he's not an alumnus um so we see we meet uh judy greer for the second time we meet um the waitress we meet a couple other new characters and then uh, at the very end one of my favorite uh cameos jason sudeikis uh comes back uh, we see him, I think, twice in the series. Um, can you can you explain the waitress to me? I did I did I did not understand that at all. Yeah, I realized when the waitress came in, I'm like, that's an entire character in subplot that you have no context for. That's yeah. huge. So no, oh no, it's fine. Um, so the waitress is a character that they all know, who is only known by. The waitress. We do not know her name. That's not just a running gag for this episode. We li- we never find it out. 
in the early seasons, she is the foil for Charlie um, in that he has a huge unrequited crush on the waitress. And a lot of their schemes early on involve him trying to get the waitress to fall in love with him or go on a date with him or all those things. And there's a running gag where basically she she ends up sleeping around with almost everyone else but Charlie uh, throughout the series and stuff. Um, and uh, she is one of the characters that a lot of the consequences of their actions fall upon. Like, for instance, one of the episodes where the bar is looking to get uh, bought out by an oldies restaurant chain. Um, she's working at one of them, and they decide to sell at the bar. So they need, they need jobs, so they all apply at her restaurant. And they end up getting, you know, harebrained schemes that get them fired. And because she hired them all, she gets fired. So they inadvertently cause, you know, her to go on there. Uh, so, yeah, she is basically goes through the the ups and downs that a lot of the side characters do. Um, another person you met in this one that you haven't met before is the uh, priest, Rickety Cricket. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I had no idea what was going on there. Oh, I forgot about him. He is also one that has his life up and down. So we, I saw the episode where um, he had a huge crush on D, and he's a priest, and he, the, she basically, uh, in a way to try and get him to help bless the bar because they had a Virgin Mary rust stain, she convinces him to leave the cloth because she he thinks that she loves him. And then at the very end, she's like, oh, no, I only said that because I thought you were unavailable and you shouldn't have left. And he's like, I, I can't do it now, you know. But he basically becomes a, a street rat meth addict, um, like, what Adam? What would you describe Rickety Cricket as? I I don't have good it words. Gets for it gets dark. Dark. Yeah. He and he's the producer, David Hornsby. So he he basically is becoming this character because he 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 loves how like dirtbag this character becomes. Like he revels in having this character's life become like worse and worse because of the gang. Like you said, with that reference to their biological father, I think he like he revels in in being this character, and he wants to see how low it can go. Um. You know he is a he's an upstanding citizen, a a, a deacon of of the community. All these things that he throws away for for this horrible person, Deandra, uh, and then loses everything. Gets addicted to drugs. Uh, he gets his face burned, horrible scars, um, attacked by dogs, all kinds of different things to the point where he <laughs> is, uh, uh, you know selling his body just to make ends meet. he he yeah he basically becomes like a a slowly disfigured figure like it's weird yeah like he so basically everything happens to him in it but um the waitress is sort of an antithesis of that but not nearly as bad um but they're the sort of like seinfeld side characters that are the ones that that get the eye mm -hmm. all. but yeah the, when i saw those two characters pop up and i'm like oh no no context but again still you can kind of get the context from it you know because because her yeah. character the waitress was about you know trying to stay sober and you see that you know oh rickety cricket wasn't nearly as you know well off as he was and he ends up trying to steal everyone's jewelry and you get oh okay so he was lying about you know being a man of the cloth then and all that kind of stuff like okay and be yeah beginning and end. for us for as long as you know they could have been side characters that were also just high school members but the way just clearly had a lot more going on with it i thought it was interesting how I guess it's, this kind of made more sense by the end of the episode, the second episode, but like, especially once they were introducing all of them in their like high school personas, it was like, how did these five end up as friends post yeah. high school? 
it's you know it's one of those things where because I think they were all sort of the losers of their own group. I'm and mostly it's the guys you know were the gang that kind of stuck together. Um, and that's that's kind of sort of the context in the first season as well. And D always feels like the you know the one that they keep at an arm length arm's length anyways, but because she's the sister, you know, she's she's around and everything. But yeah, it is always interesting to ask this question of why do they all stay together? And the answer is because no one else will have them. Like, that's basically the recurring thing that comes around is they're stuck in each other's orbit. You know, one, because that's the show. But two, no, who else would want to hang with them? A lot of weird codependence. Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of homoerotic codependence, too, with the case of Mac's character. <laughs> um, so let's actually, let's take a, a quick character break. Let's talk about Mac, Ronald MacDonald, um, and his character. Also, um, the the interesting um, side plot within it, the seasons where uh, Mac gains a lot of weight, to which Rob did that because he thought it would be funny. He just did it. There, He just was like, I want to explore a season with Max character like this. And it's one of those weird things where it's like, I I don't know why. I would never want to physically do that to like to go and try and go through that just for the sake of uh, of comedy. But it was it was a, a wild thing to do because as, as far as I know, Adam, there was no context to it. It just, the first episode drops and he just had a weight gain on it. And that was just like, okay. And that's where I, the, they're not even acting because it comes up. Uh, they they address it. They go, "Why is Max so fat?" And the they're not they're not even acting. They're not be, playing their characters. They're themselves going, "I have no idea. It's just something he does." Because Rob was like, "Yeah, this will be a fun challenge for myself. I'm gonna let myself go and then see how quickly I can get fit again." Like he just wanted to do it for fun. Like he was bored. Which when you have Hollywood money and can afford all that kind of bullshit, it's a lot easier. And poor and poor Caitlin, they're already married at this point, so she's. She's along for the ride. Oh, and speaking of which, I didn't, I, I forgot to mention this, but uh, two things about uh, these episodes, or about, first of all, the waitress, um, Mary, Mary Elizabeth, what is her name, Mary? Elizabeth Alice. Al- Alice, thank you, um, is Charlie's, Charlie Day's wife. Um, and the other thing, too, talking about this, this is the first time we learn Mac's real name is at the reunion. Oh, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if that was known beforehand or not. That's why it's kind of a big deal with the with the name tag. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's that's an interesting part. Is we've gone six and a half seasons, almost seven seasons, without knowing, and we've just called him Mac, and nobody's really cared. And then all of a sudden, here it is, and it's like, oh, uh, okay. We should ask one question. That the big thing that was a reveal within the series. Did you think Mac, or did you know Mac was gay, or is gay? I knew one of them came out as gay because I remember hearing about the episode where there's like the interpretive dance. Um, and so I didn't put it together that it was Mac, I think, until much until like towards the end of my watching. Mm-hmm. But like there were definitely I like it was definitely um, the the stuff in the second episode with where he's writing a letter to the baseball player felt a little like. Okay. Okay. Maybe they're making. Maybe. Maybe they. 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 They had these jokes and then they made good on it in a way, and so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't feel like it came up that much in the episodes that we watched. Yeah. It doesn't here either. It's. It's a recurring thing. You know. Even early on, especially knowing. Um. 
there uh there's a <laughs> it's a great episode where they're inviting people to uh their party and it's you know a guy's party for dudes and they end up making a, a invite that's a bicep but of course it looks like a penis when it's the other way around and so they layer things like that in there where the way that max doing the invite you're realizing oh he's talking about their physicality and and that kind of stuff and like he's playing down on it um but that it, it was interest it's interesting for me you know, just with my own explanation of sexuality, how the early season Max religiousness has a huge plot line. Like his, like the one of the season one things is about his, uh, him not wanting his girlfriend to get an abortion because he thinks it's a sin. Um, and so having his character journey starting from like super Catholic there to accepting his sexuality, you know, uh, through the season later on um, is an interesting character arc on it. But um Alice, what are your pros and cons for Mac that you saw um, from the episodes that we we did here? I felt like I got I didn't get a good read on Mac. I will say I felt like he was definitely like one of the gang, but like even thinking about it now, I'm hard to think of like standout moments for him. If that makes sense, I don't I don't I don't know that I I got a good picture of him. He seemed like. Like I think I think with an ensemble this size for me coming into this I'm always going to view like one person as kind of background and I think that was Mac. Yeah, that makes sense. And we didn't we did not have any Mac centric episodes on here. If I had been a bit, you know, smarter with my plan, I would have planned one out for every one of them on here. But I, you know, we did want a good mix of just slice of life and thematic episodes mm -hmm. where the ensemble is their stronger cuz I do think when it's them together that is at their strongest. Um, but yeah, Adam, do you want to give some more context about his relationship with the group and his, his evolution? Cause I think he is the character that has probably evolved the most throughout the series, not in terms of, you know, being better or worse, but clearly just how he's utilizing the group. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think besides Charlie, he is probably, um, you know, if anybody you know, there are no innocents, but if there was, you know, he is. He is genuine in who he is. He tries to be helpful. Um, he wants to be, you know, kind of coming back to that kink praise. He wants to be a part of it, just like D wants to be involved. And so they'll come up with a plan, and, and he inserts himself, and they'll be like, "Okay, I'll be security." And they're like, "No, you're not. You're not security. You, you're terrible security. You let, you know, minors come in and drink at the bar. You are not good security." Um, but when they come up with the schemes, it's rare to see him do something for selfish reasons. Other than just you know maybe for his ego a little bit, but to be part of the group, um, so he is—he's the most as like a puppy dog of the group. Yeah, he very yeah. much is a, is a follower, even though he thinks he's a leader. Uh, he's people whenever he comes up with plans, they always kind of—I mean, all of them fall apart, but his fall apart the most quickest because he just doesn't anticipate what other people would do great at all. Yeah, so I think, and I think that's you know talking about him in general, his character arc is a. A, a wild ride with um, him being so devout and even later on where he is um, blindly repeating these um, platitudes and his dogma and you know like saying like the whole oh no no you're totally going to hell dude like he like he still believes that but he's just as bad as the rest of them he's he's doing the same thing everybody else is doing but he's also secretly judging them and then you know the Mac got fat and then Mac gets skinny Mac finds his pride. Mac even starts to become um, a priest himself in, I forget what it's called, but it's not an actual, like, um, 
it's not an actual program. Well, it is a program, but it's yeah. I know what you're talking. I can't remember what it's called either, but yeah, it's like a, a not like seminary. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not seminary, but get, it's like a way to get ordained. Yeah, basically. Uh, and so, so there's a lot going on inside him that's conflicting. Now we're talking about part two of the high school reunion. Um, you know, it's long and short, everyone kind of gets their comeuppance and they look like jerks. But we have to talk about the dance sequence mm-hmm. and what you thought about. We got a little bit of it earlier, but I want to know, Alice, just what your whole thoughts were through it when we got up to that point. I thought I I, I would say I, I went through a roller coaster of emotions where they talk about how they're gonna like oh they have to do Plan B and Plan B is gonna suck and they know it's gonna be great and I was like what the fuck is Plan B and then it turns out Plan B is is a is a is a, is a, is a synchronized dance they all they all go out to the dance floor and they start dancing and I did like that I did like how it did a it, it felt like the show did a really good job of actually like glor- like glorifying them and making them look cool mm-hmm. while they're doing it and then and then and then like i said before the, the the cut to the reveal that they're actually just kind of sputtering around in circles and everyone's laughing at them still um i definitely thought that was very funny i guess i guess i was a little sad cuz it, it felt like the the asshole guy who was like the bully to everyone really never got got taken down a peg ever in nope. the whole episode Nope, they never succeed. At, even in this moment, they can't get their successes of it. And I think that's part of the reason why I like the writing is that they know these characters aren't totally redeemable. I mean, there's actually there's a lot of hubris that's involved. Like there's some moments where, especially with Charlie um, and some other people, like they'll end the show on a hard beat. Like there's one where the waitress gets so drunk and they're trying to like scheme it to get Charlie to like emotionally manipulate her to sleep with Charlie, but she ends up sleeping with Frank. And it just cuts on her, like, ranting, and it's just a shot of Charlie, and his face just sort of, like, I don't think he actually cries, but you basically, like, has that, like, sad physical cry, and that's the end of the episode. Like, not really a huge punchline, but you're just like, oh, no, like, I just supposed to feel bad for them kind of thing. So they do play with that a little bit, but then in the next episode, they'll all be shits, you know, and go further again. Um, Go ahead, Adam. uh, Anything else you want to talk about uh, the high school reunion episode? Well, I was just going to say that harkens back to what I was saying, is where it's the weirdest thing how... These are horrible people, and they somehow still get me to root for them. You still want to yeah. see the bully, you know, get charged with something. I, I will. I will say. I, th- I think that is just something built into TV as a mecha- as like a as a storytelling mechanism. I think that's why you had so many like why like it was so appealing to have these like antihero shows like The Sopranos and Mad Men and Breaking Bad is that. By by seeing that much of a character's interiority and and how they're experiencing things, you do you do sympathize with them, even if they are doing terrible things. Um, and I think yeah, part of the reason why it's had such a longevity and so many seasons. I mean, one, it's not that expensive to produce, I'm sure. But two, you know, it has a, a base following and it has a good formula for its sitcom writing, where they can still do episodes that are referential or innovative or pastiches or kind of do whatever they want. Like, you know, they, they get a lot of creative freedom that way. Adam, do you want to talk about our penultimate episode here for our list? The Maureen Ponderosa Wedding Massacre Season 8, Episode 3. Okay, so, um, backstory. Bill and Maureen Ponderosa were the popular kids in high school. They weren't necessarily the bullies uh, that we saw um, at the reunion, although... Didn't Bill show up at the reunion? I don't remember that. So, so the the 
I was hesitant about this episode because there's a lot of backstory oh, yeah. that gets smushed in. Yeah. A lot. We have the McPoyles. Bill and Pond- have, Bill and Marie. Ponderosa. We have the Ponderosa. And it's accumulation of a lot of different things. But also, it's a hilarious episode because of the, the zombies, you know, <laughs> part of it, too. So on it. But, but again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Adam, can you continue, Okay, please? so, uh, like you said, so it's the it kind of... Um, hits the nail on the head the marine ponderosa wedding massacre so marine ponderosa is getting married now the backstory here is like i said um she was one of the it girls in high school and um through certain channels they find out that she has gotten divorced and dennis uh who is at this point, he's he's just a hunter collecting trophies. It's just a notch in his bedpost. But he wants to say that he's been with her, so he makes it a point of going after her. But then what ends up happening is she falls in love with him and won't leave him alone, and he can't shake her. She becomes a bad penny for him. Um, and we see her come back a few different times throughout the, se- or throughout the uh, series. And they eventually... And I'm trying to remember the circumstances around this, but they actually get married. Uh, Dennis marries Maureen Ponderosa against his better judgment. Yeah, she shows up in the she shows up in the homecoming episode or the reunion episode and uh, talking about how much he hates yep, paying her alimony. Yep, and that comes back in the Ponderosa episode because the reason he's going is he we, we think oh he's going to try to break it up, but no, he wants to make sure nobody else breaks it up because he has heard he's overheard Frank say Frank is going to break it up. So you've got this the conflicting um, subplots here where the, the focus should be Marine Ponderosa getting married. But then we find out once we get there that there's this it's the wedding in the middle of nowhere in backwoods, Pennsylvania, which by itself is scary enough. But then what you do is you throw in the McPoyles, who are their arch nemeses, this weird inbred family who are just a constant thorn in their side uh, throughout the series. Every season, there's at least one episode that features the McPoyles and how they they have beef, how there's a rivalry going on, and how they, they try to go out of their way to spite themselves. Uh, you know, war of attrition. It doesn't matter how much it costs me, as long as they get hurt, you know, one degree more. And it's in a race to the bottom. And so... And in context of their introduction, I saw the episode. They are introduced when the gang wants to make a bar with no rules because America has freedom. And the McPoyles show up and like, oh, no, you can't come up in here, you weirdos. And they're basically like, because you brothers like make out with each other and like have sex with each other. And like their sister comes in too, who's weird. And then they're like making out with the sister as well. And so like when he says incestuous, it's not like it's not implied. It is like textual, not subtext at all. Um, and they, so, yeah, they come it's up like with that they, they already, say, you know, a thousand years of keeping yeah. the bloodline pure. They say that line in this episode. Oh, yes. that's Yes, that is true. And uh, um, uh, what's his name? Pappy. Pappy McPoyle. Oh, Gio- Guillermo del Toro. Bill Bull himself <laughs> comes in <laughs> as the as the crazed old uh, Appalachian mountain man. But uh, anyway, so back to the story. So uh, you've got Frank trying to break the wedding up. You've got Dennis trying to get the wedding to go off without a hitch. They find out it's the McPoyles. Um, Her brother, Bill Ponderosa, shows up. And then what ends up happening there is uh, 
all hell breaks loose. And again, this is the uh, the unreliable narrator because they are in an interrogation room talking to a detective played by uh, the guy from NCIS. I can't think of his name now, but a, a famous TV cop um, who's interrogating them. And they're, they're explaining, you know, they're each giving their testimony. And we see through the flashbacks what happened and how it, it came to what it, what it did, where it's this Blair Witch thing where, you know, strobe lights and shaky camera as they're running through the woods for their life. Um, but then what happens is we find out that uh, Bill Ponderosa, who has had a big fall from grace, uh, heavily into drugs, spikes the milk punch or just the milk bowl with bath salts. Uh-oh, Missy broke. The, detect- the detective was from Cold, Cold case. case. That's Jeremy Ratchford. Yep. Ratchford. Got that out. There we go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then what happens in the end is, um, well, there's there's a lot of other stuff that happens, but the gang... The, <laughs> there's a lot there that has, happens. But the gang gets exonerated because, you know, they thought there was a murder, but the supposed victim turns up. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> Deandra comes in and actually clears them of some of the charges before before uh, Maureen is found. But uh, but we see what happened to her, and we think, oh, no, she's gone crazy too because in Charlie and Max' retelling of the story, she is feral. She is just clawing and screaming and frothing at the mouth, and we can't understand her. In her retelling of it, she watches as they break into her car and immediately drive it into a lamppost so she is screaming at them about that but of course in their retelling of it she's high on bath salts trying to eat their face well which also plays into a running gag with her which is that she's a literal cat person because she loves cats and like has cat-like tendencies so the feral part also leaned into uh, if you know the well, character that was Maureen. you can believe that she would go feral and would be doing Marine Ponderosa is the one who's who's cat lady D I was I was yes. talking about oh, D that... who Oh D I'm so sorry because yes you're right and, I, and Charlie this, and this and totally and up. Max retelling of it D doesn't speak at all she just starts screaming and and flailing but then when she comes back after they've locked her in the freezer, she comes back and she tells the story. She's like, no, I was very coherent. I was yelling at you for crashing my car. All right, Alice, what are your thoughts on this crazy nonsense of an episode? This one was interesting. I liked I liked it up until I think it got revealed. It felt like this was a lore episode. And like 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 you guys mentioned, a lot of like callbacks to previous things. And so this one I felt a little on the outside of just because I did it. Like I, I, I understood like, Oh, Oh, this family's in red. Oh, the, the brothers sleep together. Um, Oh, Maureen wants to get back with Charlie or, or not, uh, not Charlie um, with Dennis, Dennis. Um, I, I, I felt like once it like uh, this, this, I think is just a pet peeve I have with in general with stories like this, where it's like, it's, it's like, it's mystical, it's magical, something's happening. And then it's just, nope, it's just all just coincidentally happens that there's a convenient explanation for all these things and nothing supernatural is happening. Oh yeah. That's, that's just more of a, a thing I don't like in general in stories, but, but yeah, this one was harder to follow just because it felt like there was so much going on with like previous characters coming back and stuff that I just didn't have context on. Yeah, and that's totally fair. Um, it does. We can pivot with an opportunity here to talk about Dennis, one of the characters we haven't had a one-on-one with since uh, he is the ex of Maureen uh, Ponderosa and uh, is the ex of many people within the context of the show. Alice, what are your thoughts on Dennis and his dynamic 
with the group. Again, the one that you think ping pongs the most. And maybe a little bit more into... I don't not like siding, but like what you think those ping pongy moments are? Because I'm a little bit curious. I mean, I will I will say that it felt like he's very like in the second episode or the the, the episode where where they're all pretending to be disabled, and then in like the high school episode, and then in this episode, you can see him as being like very more I think like high status kind of a snob, but then. In comparison, like he is just one of the one of the one of the raving idiots, especially in the in the next episode we watched, the last episode, um, where the, where they're all they have their like buy stakes with airline points scheme, and so like it it definitely felt like he would go from I'm smarter than everyone, I'm better than this, to I'm just as dumb as everyone else. And I think I think the just the the dichotomy of that like like was was confusing for me. He. Along with Frank, I mean, Frank is the uber Machiavellian person, but of the gang, he's certainly the one that has the most Machiavellian tendencies. So they give him his his monologue or, or moments where he does have his smart stuff, even if it's for super selfish reasons, which make the moments where he is just an absolute idiot a little more astounding because they're like, you should know better than this. But again, that's a lot of these characters is you should know, should know better than this, except for maybe Charlie, but we'll, we'll cover him after after our next episode. But uh, Adam, a little more context about this uh, and, and about um, a little bit about the proclivities that we got a hint to uh, during the reunion episode when he uh, pulled out his fetish items. You know, I like bonding. I like to be bound. Okay, so he is probably the least redeemable of the group. I think he is like at his core, his character is the most evil because he because he does know better. He is the smartest one of the group, which isn't saying much, but that stokes his ego. So he believes he's smart, and so he he, you know, he carries himself with that confidence, and that has got him pretty far for the most part. Um, but then, what we when we see like um, when when Rob and Charlie start scheming, theirs is it's either playful or it's to get back at at somebody else for something that that they did to them. His is, he's playing the long game, and he's always he always thinks he's like three steps ahead of everybody else, and he is only in it for himself, which is usually to seduce a woman. Again, he is the trophy hunter, um, and that is that is where you know his his plotline always takes him in every episode. Uh, there's one that could have made the list where the gang gets. Um, uh, is a two-parter where the gang is on a, a cruise ship. Oh yes, that's a really good um, one. That's the one that also is that the one that where Matt comes out as gay at the end of it because he thinks he's gonna die? Question mark. Yes, um, because he well, so he meets a, a gay couple who are running the um, what is it? It's some kind of um, like almost like a theater camp, and they put on. A little medley like they're doing on guys and dolls sit down you're rocking the boat and mac comes sliding in on its knees you know singing the uh nicely nicely part and he's like oh i love this and then he finds out that you know these two guys that he's bonding with are gay so he starts to question it and has a whole you know come to jesus moment where there's a storm that capsizes the boat and he's out there on the deck before things go horribly wrong but he's out there you know, screaming at God, like, why, why, why have you done this to me? He's having his moment where he's 
it's his Macbeth moment where he's like, oh, yeah, is that the best you got? Roar, you mighty raves. Roar, you thunder. You know, if if I'm really made in your image, then why did you make me like this? But um, meanwhile, Dennis's motivation. He finds uh, a very young woman who uh, and because he has gotten burned before, uh, steals her ID to make sure she's not underage. But then he starts trying to seduce her. And because this is and I, I didn't say this before, but it is a Christian cruise ship. So it's dry. There's no alcohol. Um, and everything is very, very religious, very Christ-centered, um, which is why it's conflicting for him that these guys who are leading the um, theater camp again for, I don't know what it is they're doing with the crew or with the uh, the members, the passengers. But that's why it's confusing for him that, you know, these two men are married and they're working on a Christian cruise ship. But uh, But Dennis's motivation is, you know, you know, we're all alone. We're out at sea. I mean, where where's she gonna go? There's the uh, the implication. You know, like, would <laughs> like she could. The implication she, is part of the Dennis system, say, which has its own. Yeah, episode. she she could say no. She could absolutely say no. But then there's the implication, and you know, you don't have to explain what that is. Everybody knows what the implication is. But um, that's just how gross Dennis really is, and that's ultimately, you know, he just wants to get laid. Yeah, he is he the character who just thinks with his dick the most in it is Dennis. And mm-hmm. so he's an absolute skeezball. You see him just basically like use women a lot. And again, something where you should just be like, Oh my god, this is horrible, I shouldn't watch it. But because he gets this come up it's so often and often the times is him about trying to hit a woman and being absolutely unsuccessful at it. Uh it goes around there. But yeah, that's part of the thing where it, it, you just truly get into the the narcissistic, ego driven, like I don't even like the way that he fly, he can fly off the handle and will just start screaming and everything like that when he basically can't get <laughs> I his am way. A golden is, God. Is very funny. <laughs> yeah. Peaked. Yeah, I that was this famous quote peak. from him. Basically says they peaked in high school and D says he peaked in high school and he goes on like the most intense like you would think it's from like a Scorsese <laughs> film from gangsters like I haven't begun yet to peak threaten to his sister because he just said that. We have one episode left. My favorite episode, the one that I know Adam uh, eye rolls a little bit that I love it this much what I do, but I think it's one of the best episodes and critically is uh, one of the most uh, lauded episodes. Season 10, episode 3, Charlie Work. I think they missed a real opportunity here. Um, they could have called this one Ratman. <laughs> yeah, or the importance of cleaning up for a health inspection. Yeah, but I mean, it was an homage to Birdman, which had just been mm-hmm. released and was edited together to look like you know single shot, and it was very much that it's following Charlie around in the day of the life of the lowest employee at the bar, and that's why mm-hmm. they call it Charlie Work because he gets stuck with the menial tasks. And Charlie Work is a recurring like term it's it's even comes from one of the early episodes where frank says d and dennis you now have to do the charlie work charlie you're gonna be my manager like so it's something that they've said for this long um but for me it just the technical achievement of it and also the as as you alluded earlier the classic sitcom element part of it but done with the illusion of it being one take not fully done in one take i think there's like two or three edit points in it um but the the one take out of it all uh, is on there. Alice, what did you think of this episode? 
Um, I like this episode a lot. I will say, I once it once it kind of became clear what was going on with the like the 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 one take thing. I I I was into it. I I. I there were definitely bits that I thought were really clever, especially um, the way they the way they build up to Frank painting himself black yes. and playing a recorder. Yes, um, that that one really got me. I will say, um, um, yeah, it was it was it was good. I, I think I I definitely liked this one. This is one of the ones I I liked the most. I want to say I think this one and um, High School Reunion Part Two were the two that that really I really took away from this, but. Um, yeah, it was it was great. Um, I, I I feel like I don't have too much to add. I, I think a lot of the things that I've I've been saying in for the past episodes that I felt maybe I wasn't aligning with this one felt more. I think again, like like I could see this being an episode of any sitcom, not just this one. And I thought it was I thought it was very you know well written and well shot and very clever. And and so yeah, it was great. Good. Um, we haven't broken down Charlie's character. Um, we can do that here. Charlie for me is probably the character I laugh at the most. I don't I don't know why. I think it's just Charlie Day. I think I love his energy. I love his enthusiasm and I think he plays the oblivious idiot character very well. You know, just sort of the naive enthusiasm and childlike enthusiasm he has um even to the point of and, and, and his character is also the most artistic. Well, um, we did not show you one of the most famous episodes, the musical episode, where they put on Charlie's um, musical, The Nightman Cometh, um, which stars everyone uh, in it and includes one of my favorite songs uh, where Frank sings about trying to get into the... He wants... <laughs> you got to pay the troll toll if you want to get the boy's soul. But Frank can't hit... The words right, so he sings, "You gotta pay the troll toll if you wanna get in the boys' hole. You gotta pay the troll toll if you wanna get in the boys' hole." And it just like, it, like Charlie, just every time is just like trying to keep it within himself, not to just like destroy Frank in that moment in there. Um, but uh, yeah, I so like it. Uh, Alice, what are your thoughts on Charlie as a character and what he brought into the group? Um. I will. I will say. I. I definitely think. I definitely saw him being very much like. I think, bottom of the totem pole in terms of like stature with the group and such. Um, yeah. I. I. Th I thought his. His part in the reunion where he's just gonna go into the bathroom and and huff, um, inhalants was 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 the saddest of the all the things that that could possibly happen. Um. But but yeah, I mean, I I, I I I wish I had more insightful things to say here. I will say, um, I I definitely seeing him be like sort of at the bottom on the bottom rung sort of gave me more sympathy for him than 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 some of the other characters, especially like like the Dennis and Franks of the world. But um, yeah, he 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 seemed reliably like um, maybe even the the character who had the most in terms of empathy and sympathy. Especially, especially in stuff like the um, the episode where his, his mom gets cancer and and such. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's that's pretty uh, pretty true throughout. Um, Adam, if you want to give just a little bit more context about Charlie's uh, interaction with the group and and his relationship with here, I mean, we had like I said, we had three titular episodes with Charlie in it, so we had a good, you know, a pretty good hold of of him in here. Yeah, and and I agree with Alice. He is the most redeemable because he is the most innocent and childlike at heart and whether or not that's because he is simple or just because he 
leads a simple life. You know, he there's things that he doesn't care about. He doesn't care about getting ahead. He doesn't care about sleeping around. He he's in love with the waitress, and you know he you know he does stalk her, but it's it's not as creepy as it could be because Dennis really takes that creep factor to the next level. Um, so yeah, in terms of you know seeing Charlie be the one who gets stuck with Charlie work to have an episode dedicated to that where you think it's going to be all this demeaning stuff. What you see is this savant at work and how, you know, to answer the question from before, how does the bar keep running? I mean, Frank's money and Charlie's elbow grease. We see what Charlie work really is. And it's not, you know, plunging toilets necessarily. It's making sure that they can fool a federal employee. What a way to work. Alice, we made you watch a lot of It's Always Sunny, a few more eps than, than we normally do. Not, I mean, hours-wise, you know, we've watched movies that are about this long, so not the worst. I mean, it's shorter than The Hobbit. I'll say that much. We've made it shorter than The Hobbit <laughs> for you. Um, that is true. I, kind of, I think I've got a pulse on it, but, you know, we do kind of ask this when we're done watching shows. Is this a show you're going to continue to watch, or is this a show where you say, I've got an appreciation of it, and I kind of learn, and... You know, but I'm not necessarily going to pick it up again. Um, I, I I think it's the latter. I I I definitely I I don't think it hooked me, and I don't think I found it as funny as y'all do and as people do. And I'm I, I think that if I sat down and watched more of it, I might be able to get there. But I also think that again, just something about the nature of the the comedy here is probably just not something that I align with as much, and and that's okay. Um, I definitely have a much more positive like like view of the show having done this as compared to the last time when I watched it for like five seconds but um but yeah I, I I'm glad I'm glad we did this I actually feel bad that I didn't like it more it's one of these things where it's like I want to like the bad. things that everyone else likes but but at the same time you know it just it, it is what it is there are so many other shows out there you got hey you got more seasons of the morning show coming up that you're gonna be oh, watching God so you already it, have season that. three is gonna drop any day now oh, I'm, I'm gonna be there I'm gonna be there minute one in front of my fucking Apple TV <laughs> oh which and uh, talk a little bit of our plan coming up here um after this uh next episode I do want to have a grab bag episode where we're going to kind of catch up with some of the stuff that we're talking about here, have a little bit of a break from having to watch some stuff and just kind of collectively get in here. But we do have a tradition that we're going to honor, and that is our guests getting to pick what we are going to be watching next from our list. Okay. I think I already know. Oh, okay. F9. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> Alice! Oh my God, we shot ourselves here. Fuck. Why is it on there? I mean, F 10s coming. Because here's the thing: is <laughs> I have seen Fast and Furious five, six, seven, and eight for How Did This Get Made? I decidedly chose not to watch nine because I was like, ugh, you know, <laughs> I was like, whatever with it. Alice, I think there's something we have to do, though. I see another one on your list here. I'm, I'm not watching more than one of those fucking things. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I am not watching. 
I'm not watching. I'm not watching nine movies. I'm not okay, watching no, two movies. I'm I will watch one. one. Okay. So F nine is the one we're gonna get. Okay, great. So I can help give some context between F uh, five and F nine. I might. I, need... I don't. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I might. We might have to pull in some some help from a special guest. I know one of um one of our previous guests might have some ability to to steer us on here, but we'll. I don't want to rope anyone in yet. Um. Oh boy, F nine. Oh boy, <sighs> this is gonna be uh, Alice. What do you know about? Uh, or because you probably already know everything about F nine because this is so much in the culture. We can't avoid the vin of it all. We can't avoid the the famous feud and and everything that went between it. But uh, you're not looking forward to this at all, are you? This is gonna be a true hate watch, isn't it? No, I don't think it'll be a hate watch. Oh, okay. I, I, I... I mean, here's what I'll say. I have never watched these movies because it was definitely one of those things where it got really popular, I I feel like, amongst nerds to be really into these movies around, like, when F5, F6 came out. And, you know, the the whole it's about about found family thing, I felt like I was getting shoved down my throat constantly. Me familiar. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and, like, I, I... I understand why people like these movies, and I and I definitely respect it. But it, it has seemed on the periphery; it has been exhausting. And so, I'm either going to come out of this really loving it, or I'm just going to find it kind of whatever. I don't think I'm going to hate it necessarily. Um, I think these movies are too popular amongst too many people I like to actively hate it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not. I will say I'm not looking forward to this, but I I, I understand and accept my fate in in this 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 um torture device of a podcast we've created for ourselves yeah indeed indeed uh adam can can we have you ask or can we have us can we ask you why you chose this one from the list because i i had a feeling it would elicit this response from one or both of you i am surprised to see it on there i honestly didn't see fast and furious i probably would have picked that one but i saw f9 and i thought that's just too perfect well, if you want to swerve and pick Fast and Furious, you are allowed on the list. I'm not. I will let you change your. If you want to switch it up here, you're more than allowed to. But I think F9 is is. It's going to be as. Cra- it's going to be crazy one way or crazy the other. I I think. So here's the thing. I I want. I'm going to stick with my initial decision, only because, two two reasons. One. In a franchise with this, and that's not even the ninth movie because there was like. Too Fast, Too Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. And then, so there's mm-hmm. there's all these others. So that's like the 10th or 11th movie or whatever. Um, but that gives it time to perfect its formula. But it also gets time to get, like, um, I don't want to say old and tired, but, like, oh, how are we going to keep this fresh? And so it it's going to get wilder and wackier. And it's, it's going to be, be like, bigger. Polished yeah. and batshit crazy at the same time. If if you were if you felt like an outsider during the high school reunion episode, you're gonna feel like an outsider on F nine. But maybe you need an outsider's opinion on this to truly judge where this franchise has ended up. I I, I feel like I've, this one at least I'm I'm coming into it because I, I I've listened to enough podcasts people talk about these fucking movies <laughs> that like this is the one where the the Korean guy comes back right? He comes back from the dead. Oh, he that was actually or, or Fate he... of the Furious, the last one. So oh like, shit! Okay, but he so, is, so, but, so, so he'll be in this one. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, that's great. Um, we'll, we'll have to detail all the people who were enemies or were dead and are now are back and, po- and you know, all of those things. Uh, we're going to have to talk about the Shaw brothers and how they both tried to kill various members at certain points, but then flipped and helped. And, yeah, it, I almost 
I, I wish I could make you watch Fate of the Furious because it was the one I saw in theaters and it's wild because it's the one where basically they chase down a nuclear submarine. But since I haven't seen F9, this is the perfect one for us to do. I really want to go in with one that, that I, again, purposely have avoided and now can no longer do it based on my own hubris for putting it on this goddamn list. Adam, you son of a bitch. You're welcome. Tee hee. But with that, Adam, thank you so much for coming and being our guide on here. Um, Alice, do not feel bad about not loving the show as much as other people. This, this is not a peer pressure podcast. It's fine. It didn't, I didn't love Minions as much as everyone else. This is, I, then again, you know, you didn't hate this as much as, as that was. So, uh, and, yeah, there's a little difference between little, my reaction as, as and your reaction as, to Minions. As you basically have a Minion behind you and you're wearing Minion colors right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a little bit different of a, of a thing on here, too. As we say at the end of all of our podcasts... Well, Alice is putting on her minion goggles right now, so visually, this is what we're doing at the end of the podcast. But as we say at the end of all the podcasts, we've learned nothing, we've had no consequences, and we haven't grown as people. Shit, we might be a gang. We might be the podcast gang. The gang does a hate watch. <laughs>